It's Randalicious. Welcome to the SEO Rant. I am your host, Gordy Overton. You might know me better as Wix and SEO Branding, but I will remind you, this podcast has absolutely nothing to do with that. This is pure unofficial Morty magic and Morty mania for official Morty magic and mm, semi-mania. Check out the Serpstop podcast over at wix.com slash SEO slash learn. I can pitch that because it's my podcast. I do whatever the hell I want. And I'll pitch whatever the hell I want. I'm going to pitch General South Chicken. I think you should need General South Chicken because it's my podcast. I will pitch whatever. Where can you find the SEO Rant? Over at the SEORant.com, at SEORant on Twitter, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever great, mediocre, terrible podcasts are found, this podcast is also there. When does the SEO rant come out? Hell if I know. I do not know. Um, I think on Fridays, I've been generally putting them out on Fridays. I have the Serps Up podcast. I also co-host Edge of the Web's news podcast. So check that out. And then I have this podcast. It's a lot of podcasts to put out in one day. So I kind of space them out. So Wednesday, it Serps Up. Thursday or Tuesday, depending upon how quickly Aaron Spark gets his ass together, we do the Edge of the Web podcast. So Friday is kind of when I put this podcast out. Um, typically, I put it out every week, but I might switch to an every other week model. We'll see. So subscribe so you're automatically notified when the podcast comes out so you don't have to guess about my ridiculous schedule. Anyway, for your listening pleasure today, she is a former Wixer, so that's super cool. She is the one. She's the only. Anna Oos, you used to work at Wix. We used to work at Wix together at the same time, but didn't know each other. But you used to work on Idan Siegel's growth team. Idan, by the way, I try to... For reference, you know, there's like these brilliant SEOs you never hear of because they're just like doing the SEO stuff and they don't have a big mouth like I do. That's Idan. Idan's like, I guess like the Kevin Indig of Wix kind of thing. He's like all about growth. He's super <clears> smart <throat> and whatever. Not whatever. Sorry, Idan. Um, tell, because you work with him and because I'm snarky, what's like the most annoying thing about Idan? I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I was about to answer. but I Oh, no, answer then. Answer, what's oh, annoying about Idan? I wanted to answer that uh, above all you said that he's very smart. I think he's a very, very good person as well. He is, like, he is uh, legitimately a really nice person. There's like no ego there. Very good. Yeah. yeah. When I was leaving, he gave me some very, very, you know, helpful advice. And I still appreciate it. You know, when you leave the company, sometimes you don't think about certain things. Right. And he was very friendly. And on a personal level, he gave me really good advice. So He's really, really a help. A, a legitimately decent human being. Now that we said that, though, what's annoying about him? Oh, annoying. I wouldn't say something specifically annoying, but I think like as all Israelis, he's very straightforward and <laughs> honest, um, which sometimes can play both ways. That's but true. That is yeah, true. If, if I had to outline something. The American that. in me finds that difficult to navigate culturally. Like, I don't always know how to interpret that. So if you're from Israel and you're listening and like you're talking to somebody else who's not from Israel, for you, like that cultural reference makes sense. For, for me, it's like very hard. And the opposite, I'm sure it's very annoying for Israelis how American. And by the way, the most annoying thing about Idan for me is his hair. I say, I wish he had his hair and I'm losing my hair. So Idan, oh, I hate, yeah, he I has hate you and your hair. hair. I hate you and your hair. Um, I don't hate you, Idan. I love you, but I hate your hair. I'm jealous. Anyway, we're not talking about Idan and his hair. We're talking about programmatic SEO, which is going to be really interesting because I think we're on the opposite side of the of the spectrum here on programmatic SEO. So please, Anna, where do you want to start when we're talking about programmatic SEO? So I think I will start from uh, giving the definition of what programmatic SEO is for me, 
because uh, there might be a lot of opinions, speculations, and assumptions. And I just want us to be on the same page before we start uh, and dive into that um, argument of ours. Uh, so for me, programmatic SEO is the strategy of publishing unique, high-quality pages at scale using templates or database. And the goal of programmatic SEO is to drive traffic through thousands or even millions of pages. So it's a scalable and at the same time, high quality traffic. Do you think it's possible, Marty? Um, it depends. I think, I, think, I think sometimes it's possible to get away with it. Mm -hmm. Meaning I think if you have a really strong domain and you're pushing and the content itself is, is, is good, it's good. It's not like, you know, thin, terrible content. I think it's good. I think it's hard, in my opinion, to really target an audience with programmatic SEO. And I think it's hard as the algorithm gets a little more pickier. Like you go to the SERP, I you type in um best vacation spots. So you have a giant feature snippet listing, you know, from US, you know, travel news, whatever it is, listing all the vacation spots. But you have a filter, a bubble filter above it, at least in the US usually that says, oh, did you really mean to like search for best vacation spots with kids in the summertime um, in the Caribbean um, on a budget? So Google themselves are trying to filter you towards like more very specific kinds of content. And sometimes I feel that programmatic SEO doesn't appreciate that. So I think yes, but with caveats. I hear you. And I think that... Um... The most important thing here before you start even thinking about programmatic SEO is to understand, is this the best format and do you have unique value you can add on top of those programmatic pages to actually rank there? If you're assembling a gallery of pictures and like a gallery like a, and a bunch of random facts that could be done better by a human being, then probably don't touch that. But if you have a great idea that can leverage a database, you have an internal stack that can process that database and show it in a unique, useful val uh, format for the user. You understand that it is scalable and it can be actually like done throughout thousands of pages, something that you can't manually write. Then you need to explore further. It sounds like you're onto programmatic SEO. Yeah, I'm not against the pro I'm not against using databases to dynamically load content onto pages. Like I think that's a brilliant idea if you have a good database. But yeah. okay, let me let me let me spin the tables back on you. Can you give me a scenario where or a situation or a description of programmatic SEO working? Like what does it look like? What kind of content is it? Who are you targeting? How are you doing it? How does it work? Absolutely. So I guess I'm very lucky to work in the industry where People search for a lot of very specific things. Uh, developers, in, for instance, uh, they search for vulnerabilities and each vulnerability has uh, a version. So one of our programmatic SEO assets is vulnerability database. And uh, the main terms there is the vulnerability name and vulnerability version. That is a very simplistic one because it's literally a database that is compiled in the very coherent, comprehensive visual way for you to navigate through vulnerabilities. But then a pure SEO project that we did at Sneak was uh, Sneak Advisor. And the idea there is that 
all the developers are using open source. All the developers are the majority, let's say majority of the developers are using open source and majority of the developers go to different websites to find information. Maintenance on the other side, they want to download it. So a lot of information is scattered and some information is not even there. So what we did is we helped developer answer a question, should I use this package or should I use another one? Because on one page, you can find all the information about maintenance, popularity, downloads, uh, alternatives, vulnerabilities, and all of that information is also processed by our Intel and it gives you a health score. And this health score accounts for all those factors and it indicates for you whether you should use it or you should use any of other recommended packages. So there is no better way a human would do it because the data is mostly graphs, um, stats, et cetera. And that's the format a user would want to have it in. Like they wouldn't want to have an article talking about, well, it is popular, but it is not meant to, like, this is the format they want to receive that information in. And at the same time, we layer our expertise on top of that data and we're processing it. So there is an added benefit. It's not scraping. It's not just pulling from other websites. It's properly processed and served information. Okay. So this is my question. So you can, you have different vulnerabilities. You're dynamically loading up the content, you know, name a vulnerability, whatever content afterwards, you have it all templated, pulling in the scores, really useful information, I guess. I'm assuming sounds great, but all the pages are basically the same at that point. And there's nothing, there's nothing unique about them. And there's really nothing outside of like, you know, it's almost like to me, it's like when you have like a local website doing this, right? I have Taco Bell and all the location pages are just like, it's the same thing. It's all programmatically built. And they're just changing the name of the location, like Taco Bell, New York, Taco Bell, Los Angeles, Taco Bell, Houston, Taco Bell, whatever. And it's the same content. There's no unique value on it. So now you have a gazillion pages of the same thing on your website. One is, how does that work with indexing? That you're not screwing things up. Like Google's like, well, it's all the same shit. We're not going to index all of this. We're going to index one of these. And then are you are you actually offering anything of real value to the particular audience? For example, with like, I don't know, like Taco Bell. Um, in, in Montana, Taco Bell, Montana, I can't imagine um, listing, maybe I'm wrong, but I can't imagine listing the vegan options that are at Taco Bell, Montana is a big deal. Whereas like Taco Bell, LA, like that might be an actual thing. Like you need to list the vegan options. But if you're programmatically building all this shit, and you're just pulling all the same thing in. You're talking to the rancher in Montana. I'm sorry, I'm binging on Yellowstone right now. You're talking to the rancher in Montana, and you're talking to the to the the, you're the college student in at Berkeley in the exact same way, and that makes no sense to me. Okay, so first of all, every page is unique. Does Google understand that? That is a challenge because the majority of the information is graphs and data, but. Right. Your example with Taco Bell doesn't really uh, work here because they only change H1 title. And for us, everything is different. This is a different data set for different package. Like the maintenance is different. The popularity is different. It's like, it's, it's, it's very unique and there is value for the user. That's exactly what the user wants to know. Okay. But the challenge is, does Google see that as right. a unique Yes. And I think that this is so exciting for SEO person. You have, you finally <laughs> it have. It gives us jobs because it gives us jobs. That's why it's exciting. Yes. But finally, 
you you know what the pro like you know the problem is you know if you wrote an amazing article and it doesn't rank and you try to sprinkle it with this sprinkle it with that uh that's one thing the other thing is that you are sitting on two million pages you understand your main problem is that google is not indexing them you know that as soon as you break that as soon as you index those pages you'll get like 200% traffic increase instantly so you're trying to develop a formula of how do you make sure that google recognizes those pages as unique valuable and uh how do you optimize the website structure so that there is pro proper internal linking between everything discoverability and that's like you just need to come up with that recipe for the programmatic SEO success. And then you open this like door to enormous recipe for programmatic SEO success. Ah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> we are not gonna disclose the recipe, right? But uh, no, I mean I don't have a recipe, so I'm oh, out. Ah, see, yeah. So you it's your podcast. But okay, fine. I I think I think this is where we meet. I I I agree. I think the Taco Bell case is a very extreme, well, not extreme. I think it's a very common case, which I guess is my problem. What you're saying, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? You have unique data, you're pulling the data in, and that's great. I, I look at it like AI. Yeah. And I guess is where maybe we agree. I can spin up an absolute ton of content with AI. Maybe it's okay, maybe it's not okay. I need to now go through, and aside from reviewing it, but actually maybe offer a unique take, right? Maybe I I... I I programmatically build my content using AI, but now I go through and aside from editing it for accuracy, I'm not even talking about that. I, I go through, okay, now maybe I'll add a little, like, you know, a paragraph here, a couple of lines there, switch that around a little bit so I can add my own uniqueness to the content. I think that works. I think programmat I think if you're using programmatic SEO to replace content creation, that's where I have a, I have a little bit of like, I don't know. This, uh, this, I, f I feel like um, these are two strategies that you need to have in parallel because, well, programmatic SEO is a special thing you can have on the side. It's not a part of your <clears throat> core content strategy or your core marketing strategy. It is growth hacking. Yeah. It is if you want, if you have an opportunity to leverage your uh, stack and um bring people to use your product, you can use it, you can leverage it. That is a fantastic opportunity. It does not replace manually ranking for all the high business value keywords uh, with amazing human generated, humanly created content. But this is a growth hacking strategy. And I feel like I should literally jump in and name all the advantages that I've listed. Okay, go for it. So the first thing, it is scalable. And this is something you can't say about a lot of SEO things that we are doing. The second thing, it is sustainable. So you do invest a lot in the beginning to build that, to have servers running. Uh, you need developers to, to get that started. But at the same time, you know that that would probably not need refreshing because of the way you built it for an upcoming years. Yeah, you probably want to tweak some features, but it's not like content that might be absolutely outdated in a year or so. And the last two things I think are a blast because, because of the scale and of the templated nature, you can do amazing A-B testing and you can do amazing SEO A-B testing. And the last one is conversion optimization, 
Like literally, if you find something working and you extend it to all those millions of pages, the gains are huge. So that is something you can't tell about a lot of other things SEO-wise because everything is, it depends case by case. <laughs> How long is the article? What is the CTA? What is the intent? Who is the audience? Here, the audience is the same. The pages are the same. You just rip off the benefit constant, const- consistently. That's totally true. Those are really good points. For example, I'm Colt Sliva from uh, Glassdoor. So he took Python, he took Wix's Vellum, and he programmatically built out product pages to see that with the intent of, you never go into search console and you're, 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 you see like all of a sudden you have impressions for a keyword, like really? Huh, Google okay. ranks me for that? To see okay, what sticks before I actually start optimizing my product pages, how does Google understand my products? What does it see them as? What's sticking, what's not sticking? And then I'll optimize from there. So it, it it does, by the way, product pages would be a great place to programmatically build out your content because it's pretty much, if you have a database, let's say you have all your inventory in a, in a spreadsheet or something, you just want to programmatically pull that in there. Why the hell not? Because they're basically just name of product, description of product, and a couple of like specs, whatever it is. Like it's, it's built for programmatic SEO. My challenge, like I really want to do that. You're literally reading into my mind. This is the project I'm trying to pitch. My problem is that everyone is super, super sensitive to the content on product pages. And for for this content to be approved, for this content to be super fresh and relevant, and uh, yeah, I I can't get people to commit to maintain a large amount. Well, you could program, okay, let's say you are worried about that, like for the audience listening, you can programmatically build elements of it to say like, it's not an all or nothing game. Like you don't have to program. Let's say you want, I don't, I have a description of the product that, you know, it, it comes to the manufacturer, right? You, you see that all the time, right? The, the, the description on a product on Amazon and Walmart and Target's all the same. Oh, sorry, are you talking about e-commerce or are you talking about tech? I could talk about anything, but let's say e-commerce. Oh, okay. Because with e-commerce, nobody cares about product pages. I was meaning about, you know, like the, uh, no, when people do. the tech company. People do care about their product pages. So they're like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna programmatically build that out completely because it's all gonna be the same thing. And blah 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 blah. People, I find that smaller websites, obviously larger websites, are programmatically building them out, but smaller websites are very hesitant to say, like, no, no, I don't want to just template this because I want to make, I want to have product control over, or the owner of the website is really concerned about whatever, whatever, whatever. So even if you don't want to programmatically build it all out, you could build out half of it, right? You, one hundred percent. If let's say you like really have like a, a hang up about like the specs of the product and you want to write them yourself. I don't know. That's a terrible example because the specs are the specs, but it doesn't matter. Um, you get what I'm saying? So just pulling the, the title of the product from the inventory list. Like there's a million pieces you can pull in that you don't have to programmatically build all of it if that's not your jam. Or if you want to programmatically build all of it out and then add it in FAQ afterwards because you think an FAQ is really important to have on the page. So then build that out manually if you want to. Yeah. Well, in programmatic SEO, definitely you need to have some modifiers and some unique content on the page. With, with products with and e-commerce, I think that it is easier because you're pulling from the product database. What do you think about uh, user-generated content on programmatic SEO assets? I generally don't like user-generated content as, as, a, as a rule. I find that it's tricky. I, it depends, obviously. 
But if you want to say you're on a popular play, go to seroundtable.com, you know, Barry Schwartz's website. You see the comments in there. It's a whole lot of crap. I don't want my website. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I don't have uh a certain opinion there. I'm debating because sometimes I feel this is this could be a good way to keep content fresh and at the same time maybe collect feedback if you are in the niche where people actually respect you and they appreciate what you're doing. But at people the same time, this. but they at rank. the same time I agree with you about uh People rank for like one of these, like, you know, some of these blogs that have like a crazy amount of content on them, like uh, comments, you generated content. They rank for all sorts of ridiculous keywords because of the user generated content. So it's not like, oh, a, it's, not, it's not crazy. Insane. It's just like, I find that to be dangerous game. Oh, I hate it. Listen, like one of the things like I listed in the disadvantages of programmatic SEO is the content quality. So you constantly need to check what are you ranking for? Because, uh, and, and what you mentioned about uh, ranking for user-generated content, that can be a huge pain, especially if uh, Google launches an update, which it does frequently, and your site is uh, on the radar and Google suddenly is like, okay, is it about cybersecurity or is it about uh, weird stuff? Uh, and sometimes weird stuff comes naturally just because these are the names of the packages and they would just yeah. start to fly high uh with traffic because the package name just doesn't make any sense and that becomes very confusing let me ask yeah, you a question so about that, that though. Like, when i write a piece of content myself i'm generally not worried about it ranking once it is ranking like my my general concern is to get it to rank and then once yeah. it's ranking i'm pretty confident that even if it goes up in here, it goes down over there, for the most part, long-term, I wrote a really nice piece of content, it's going to stay. When you're doing programmatic SEO and you're building out these pages, when Google throws out an update, are you like, oh, oh, is this the moment where it all comes crashing down? So there was a moment when it went crashing down. So I have adjusted the strategy significantly. And from now on, I don't know. I'm boldly not worried. Let's put okay. it that way. No, 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 that's good. Okay. And I'm I'm not uh, judging. I'm asking. No, but I, with Google, you, you never know. But for now, I have a feeling that we've went through so many iterations and we've adjusted so much that the quality of the structure of the content uh, of our system of filtering out the low quality traffic out is nice. in place. So I'm kind of okay. But that is actually what happened. Like we launched the the asset and we started to see let's say 50k the first month 150k clicks the next month 300k clicks uh the upcoming month so after five months we were at like 700k clicks right. and then came the spam algorithm update oh boy yeah and i don't think those are hard i don't think it was from. about links for us but for some reason the contextual the cloud of keywords like was too random hmm. So after that, we have no indexed severely. A lot of um, pages that we felt are on the lower quality end. And we took that time to build a system of monitoring the actual keywords that are, you know, um, out of the regular, you know, like that suddenly pop on the radar so that we could right. manually uh, remove them from SERP. And we slowly removed the no index along mm -hmm. with uh, a lot of technical SEO optimization changes. Interesting. 
and it worked. We are back at one million. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's we are scary. Back at 1 million, but good one million, you know. Right. That's so interesting. Well, I would love to dive into that on its own, but we're kind of out of time. So where can people find you? Oh, people can find me uh, on LinkedIn. And I also have a website, anatus.com. Cool. So I will link to Wix that. website, by the way. Is it? Thank you. That's right. Wix alumni forever. We'll link to all of that in the show notes so you can find it, click on it, and Anna can get a link from my whatever website. So you're going to get a follow link out of this. Woohoo. Um, yeah. Folks, where can you find the SEO rant? Um, well, you already found it, but in case you want to find it again, you're listening to your friend's car, and you know where I find this thing. This is so good. You can find it at the SEORant.com, search by SoundCloud, and on Twitter at SEO Rant. Until next time, dear audience, thank you for listening and toodles.